What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be loved more, not less, in the telling of it? How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about why we hide and what it would look like to tell our secrets. Oh, dear listeners, I don't think I can adequately express the excitement that I have for who I was able to interview for today's podcast. It's John Lynch, and he's a spiritual hero of mine. I'm unbelievably just so tickled that he agreed to this interview and that you guys, if you don't know who he is, are going to get to be introduced to him. And if you do know who he is, well, then you know that you're in for a treat. I was first introduced to John just after graduating college in 2003. A videotape of him speaking at a Navigators, which is a collegiate ministry, conference somehow ended up in my hands and I watched it and it deeply affected my view of grace and how God views me. And side note, at the end of today's podcast, you can hear a clip from that message and you totally want to. Okay, so as I was dreaming up this podcast and who I wanted to be on it, John Lynch immediately came to my mind because of his honesty and vulnerability and his message about coming out of hiding so we can really be loved. And as you know by now, he said yes. So quick bio bit. John served as a pastor for 27 years. He is an author. His books are linked in the show notes. He loves theater, has been a playwright and actor, and he continues to write, and he currently serves with the ministry, True Face. So aside from the fact that when this is recorded, I had a wretched cold, and you're going to hear my nasty, stuffy-nosed, snotty self, uh, the interview is awesome, and I can't wait for you to hear it, so let's get to it. John, welcome. It is such a delight to have you on the podcast today. Sarah, thank you. Um, it's a treat to be with you, by the way. It is a, uh, it's like meeting a friend that I've known for a long, long time. So this is a real treat for me. Okay. So John, I know that you, your ministry, True Face, you talk a lot about how, you know, why we hide, you know, we wear masks. And I just want to ask you the straight up question. Why do we hide? Why do we wear masks? Why do we hide? Well, let's, Bill, uh, Bill Thrall, one of the co-authors, Bill and Bruce. uh, I always say that Bill is Yoda and Bruce is Obi-Wan Kenobi and I'm Luke Skywalker, just the more handsome and funnier one. So, um, but the, Bill says, oh, we want so very desperately to be known, and we are desperately afraid we will be. Mm. Uh, and nobody can get totally to an answer of why we hide, 
but it has a lot to do with shame, doesn't it? Uh, that obviously guilt says, uh, I have done something wrong. And shame says, uh, there is something uniquely, irreparably wrong with me. And no matter what I do, it will never change. And mm. although I think I can hide it from you, I'm afraid you can see it. And so we live these lives of what if you really knew who I was? Mm. And, and, and so we're terrified that we would lose our seat at the table, that we would be pitied. And so it's just easier and better for um, me to pretend to you, idealize myself and posture and bluff. The problem is you don't get to know me. And if you don't get to know me and you don't have a chance to love me, if love is the process of meeting needs, I never experience your love. So that's the tragedy of these masks is when I'm wearing a mask, as we've said before, only my mask gets loved. So it's so hard to admit uh, that I carry shame that keeps me from being known. Uh, you've read in, in Bose Cafe mm. that we say, uh, we are all awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my life the way I thought I could, stuck with unresolved issues, mm. whose <laughs> symptoms I'm trying to fix, all without the help of anybody else. And then we make this uh, um, brash statement that says, theologians who say that we're not, but that it comes out of our life experience very early because of the flesh that's in us. We, mm -hmm. we react to life situations very early. Um, I've told you in fifth grade, I got violated it's, uh, in my, my book. On my worst day, uh, I talk about it, and I didn't think anybody could handle me. With I didn't think any my parents or anyone else. I didn't think they could handle what had just happened to me if I told them, and so I didn't tell them. And from fifth grade, uh, all through, <laughs> even through the writing of the Q or, or, or of True Face. I mean, that's all those years, you know, maybe I was 50. I never told one single person what had happened to me. One of the most wow. profound effects in my life. I mean, how do you think that affected my life? It, mm. it made me unhealthy. Everywhere I would go, here I am, this speaker, and I'm all these things, but nobody knows, and, but I think they can see. I actually think that people, when they see me, they can see and tell what's wrong with this guy. Hmm. So one day I told someone, I just was tired of it. And I knew that I, I thought that I would be rejected and left and lose my job and uh, my marriage would go away. None of that happened. They were deeply heartbroken for me, hmm. but it caused them to love me more and have a basis to love me more because I was letting them in. And they went, oh man, we knew something was wrong that you were carrying, but we didn't know how to get access. And once they got access, oh, what a blast. What a 
in fact, it's never brought up again, really, except in those times when it would help to bring it up. So it makes me wonder, why did I carry that so long? And the answer is, my shame told me that nobody would be able to handle me. Nobody mm. would love me if I told them. And so I just didn't. And now I'm hoping we can break the code for a lot of people by, by convincing them uh, that's not who you really are. That's not your identity. You're a, you're a brand new creature. And, and to give that safe place for people, gee, um, we always make the statement, it's less important that anything gets fixed than that nothing needs to be hidden. And, and mm. that, I mean, there's so much in that statement, but one yeah. of the things, one of the things that's in that statement is that nothing gets fixed. Things only get redeemed or, or, or healed. Mm. And the other part in that is sin matures, grows, foments in hiddenness. And so if I could, if I could convince my kids that it was okay to be exactly who they are at this moment with all their stuff and not have to bluff or pretend that they were somebody else, that they were right on time. And I was equipped and ready to handle the very things that they were facing. And if they knew there was a different consequence for telling on themselves than for getting caught, if all those things were true, I could keep my kids, maybe God would allow me to have my kids not live a double life. Mm. And people would feel safe around me to start to reveal who they are. And that gift that I can give, that you can give to others, we're begging for. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, what, who do I enjoy being around more than someone who I'm convinced has my back and is for me and knows all my, or at least a lot of my stuff, but mm. they're my fan and they won't go away. And like Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens, literally come up under them. Don't run away when they fail. Mm. Um, I, I just think that those kinds of life practices now for us help others, um, be convinced that they don't have to have a shame identity. They don't. It's not who they are. Oh, man. I feel like I need a part two podcast just on parenting. But <laughs> and have you, have you had a chance to read The Cure in Parents? No, I downloaded it about three weeks ago, and I have it on my yeah. Kindle. I read The Cure. Well, I tell you what, go read The Cure in Parents when you have time, and I would love to come back and talk about those things too. That would, that would be a delight. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So when you were talking again about this shame identity, and I think, you know, even those of us who haven't had some, you know, big life altering moment, we all have things, right? Yes. All of us. All of us. All and of us. so you had mentioned that you didn't want to tell people because like they wouldn't be able to handle it or, yeah. you know, they wouldn't love you. And I'm wondering how that translated to how you viewed God and how that kind of can mm. skew the way that we view God. Oh, gee. 
Um, uh, (laughs) I came to a saving relationship with him. My high school students, when I was teaching English and uh, drama in Phoenix, Arizona. So December 23rd, 1979, I came to trust him with my heart. But I honestly believed that he would and should expose me and 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 have me everything that I'd ever done wrong would eventually come to roost uh that he would expose me for the fraud that I was that da 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 and I believed that I really did for the first three or so years of my preaching in a local church I believed that and I carried that how do you how do you let a God close when you believe that he's thinking, well, you'll thank me for it later, but I'm going to have to destroy your very life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and all along, I didn't see him correctly, that the cross mm-hmm. had made it so he could say, John, I'm your biggest fan. Mm-hmm. I don't want to destroy you. I don't want to break you. You're already broken. I want to heal you. And that... That has gradually caused me to say, well, then you have earned my trust. You don't need to earn my trust, but you chose to earn my trust. And I trust you with me, and I'm not afraid of you. And you are my safest place to tell all my stuff to. So I have gradually, not not overnight, but gradually come to be convinced that he's crazy about me, that he adores me, that he pours his grace over me. <laughs> I can't help. I, I can't even. I love say, it. I love I can't it. Even think grace without. I, I was uh-uh. just speaking to a bunch of high schoolers, and they would freak out every time I said grace because I, I, I did it with a an accent, a brogue. Um, I don't know if it's Scottish or Irish or English or Welsh. I don't know. It's somewhere over there, the accent. But he has convinced me that he adores me, that he could not love me more, and he will not love me less, no matter what is discovered about me. And he has seen everything, everything from the past now and into the future, all the way home. And he says, I... I think John is my favorite. If he's not, he's right up there. (laughs) He adores me. And nothing, nothing that gets revealed about me by any other human can change that assessment. Uh, Mm. That has taken a while. You have to have friends around you who can, you don't have to sometimes with a first on the beach, but, it is a beautiful thing to have friends around you who can remind you of those truths, who can get behind get behind the lies that I tell myself about God. Uh, I, I carry, all of us carry lies that have been unchallenged because until I trust somebody, I never get that conversation. So I can carry lies that say, um, God, this sin is bigger than you are. I don't think you can take care of it. Mm. Uh, I, I can carry the lie that says, God, 
if I'm honest, I think this sin will bring me more pleasure than you will. Mm. Ugh, I hate what I just said, but I, I, I know that I've thought that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or God, I don't think you've given me the life that you've given that person, and I don't understand why not. So if that never gets challenged, that just becomes a permission system for me to fail, for me to keep uh, continuing in historic wrong life choices, even though I have this new life. So, So to have that permission to be known, to be trusted, to... And never say to anyone, you know this, but, hey, you should trust me. Well, that's everybody's issue. <laughs> but to be, able, to be able to say, would you give me the opportunity to earn your trust? And to be able to have the integrity to say, I don't think that I can be trusted in this area. Even though I want to, I, I cannot help you fix your car. I cannot help you with anything financial. Uh, so I want to be honest with that friend to tell them, here's where I think I could be trusted by you. And when you do, when you gain that access, you, you give a person a chance to have um, those things challenged that are lies about ourselves. So God uses each of us in such an astonishing way to break those patterns. Hmm. I love how you say, would you give me the opportunity? That's yes. such a great way to say it. And I'm, and I'm also realizing anybody in authority over another person, one of the great gifts that they can say in whatever age-appropriate way is, would you tell me how I'm affecting you? Hmm. What a powerful thing. It, with my kids, first of all, they'll say, I'm not touching that. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. I, I know better than responding to that. But you keep coming back to it and say, I really want to know how I'm affecting you. Because then I can love you better. And I can love you. And they, instead of saying, boy, this guy's a loser. Or he's got a bunch of things wrong with him. And we finding them out, they will trust you with their hearts. They will, they will say, why in the world? Nobody's ever done this with me before. Mm. Why would I not follow this person and come under this person and let them protect me? So it's a great thing that I'm starting to learn to say uh, with everyone that I'm close to that, that is around me. Man, that's really good. And you have got to I think, pray and ask for a whole ton of humility before you ask it, particularly with your spouse. <laughs> oh, oh, like, would yeah, you? Absolutely. Can, <laughs> absolutely. Because they're going, oh, oh are you yeah. serious? Uh-huh. You'll just sit down for a while. You yeah, know, yeah, I, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll write it to you. Uh, no, but, but here, even with my spouse, mm-hmm. think about that. They... Stacy, my bride, mm. she knows me. She, she can see me so much more accurately than I can see myself. Mm. Stacy mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I mean, she's got her own stuff, but regarding me, she sees me so well. And she happens to be a fan of mine. She mm. married me. <laughs> but but I went decades not 
ever giving her permission to protect me. And I, and I'm the only person I can't direct. I can't see myself accurately. So, so to have a Stacy or a Bill Thrall or a Dennis Martin or my son Caleb or or my daughters, to be able to say, "I love you," and I know who you are. I know the best about you, and I know the worst about you. To give them permission. One, how am I affecting you? Yeah. Two, what do you see about me? To gradually give that permission, it makes us healthier, wiser, gives us discernment and wisdom and and self-knowledge. And instead of living 50 years with one year of knowledge repeated over and over again. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. I want to go back to something. Um, I just have two more questions. Thank you, sir. Yep. I want to go I, back. I am, I am yeah. just yammering. I realize no, that yammer. I'm, I'm I knew you would. You... <laughs> You're a storyteller. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much. When they said 20 minutes, I was like, are you kidding? Have you heard him speak? Like, how are we going to do this? He taught drama. Seven, Hi. Okay. It takes him seven minutes to cough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I got two more questions for you. Okay, I want to go back. You said that the Lord convinced you yeah. that he adored you. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the people out there who think, whatever, man, I'm on God's B team. Yes. My prayers don't mean anything. I'm yes. not, you know, good enough. I don't have time to read my Bible, blah, blah, blah. How did God convince you he adored you? And I'm just, yeah, like yeah. how can people out there yeah. really believe that God adores them? It, so good. So, so, so good. I either am a saved sinner who is a grave disappointment to God and will never, ever reach pleasing him. Or I am a saint who is Christ in John. Think about that. If I'm Christ in John, then how disappointed can God be with me? He's fused with me. I am a saint. And he says, there there are some irreducible verses. What do you, there is therefore now uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for John Lynch, zero, not a zip. And you can't reduce that or alter that. You can't say, uh, on most days, there's not a lot of condemnation. There's none ever. And, and so that's, that's a verse that then shapes the way I see Scripture. Um, it, in John, Jesus says, to the exact extent that my Father loves me, so also I love you. Are you kidding me? How can that be in the Bible? How can that possibly, Jesus saying, to the exact extent that my Father loves me, and that's significant love. Oh, my. That's endless love. He says, I love you the exact way. That's not possible. Do you not know me? I mean, how, you've seen my life. And he says, no, I've seen it. I'm so crazy about you. Uh, I think for me, a breakthrough was how I read scripture. I used to read scripture 
as this book that was constantly just saying, here, let me beat you up here. Let me condemn you here. And, and uh, I'll give you a little moments of rest, but most of the time you're just going to get roughed up. And I realized I was reading the Bible with a shame moralism filter that, that I, I, I saw Jesus as this, this one who had saved me, who loved me, was now like this angry pirate with too much coffee. And, <laughs> and, and so you read John where he says in the gospel, he says, if you love me, you'll keep me commandments. And he sounds like a pirate in there. He said, if you love me, you'll keep me commandments. If you love me, and I don't much think you do, then you'd keep my commandments. I'm not going to tell you which ones, how much. But if you want me, Father, to keep his abode with you, you better get working on it, you disappointing, worthless sailor. So I had that picture. I, I would have never said that. But as simple, even as that verse is, in the Greek, it's a first-class conditional, meaning instead of, if you love me, it says, because you love me. If and you do love me, you'll find yourself keeping my commandments. Oh, by the way, there's only one. I'm going to give you one commandment. I know all the other commandments beat you up because you didn't have the heart for it. But this commandment, you're going to be able to do, it's who you want to be. It's who who you can be because of Christ in you. I'm going to ask you to love each other. That's it. You, you, you take care of that. And then Galatians 6.2 follows it up. Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and, and you keep the one thing that God's asked you to do. And by the way, I know that you're right on time and that you're a mess, and that you carry generational stuff. And by the way, all through it, I couldn't enjoy you more. There's never a time when I don't delight in who you are. I never want to punish you. I'm never disgusted with with you. I'm never angry with you. I know who you are, and I've got you. And, And once you see it, once you believe that, once you're convinced that there aren't boogeyman verses that want to convince you that God doesn't love you, oh, you get peace, you get freedom, you get joy, you get to play. You get to play with others. And you get to enjoy going for walks with him on, on the beach and laughing and telling him your funniest thoughts and letting him just talk his way through your impressions that you're hearing in your own heart. It's a, it's waiting for us. It took me a while to get there. It really did. Even as a believer, having everything, once I came from this non-believing atheist life to come to Christ and then try so hard to please him. And then I wore out. And finally I said, I can't do it anymore, Mm -hmm. Jesus. You either have to be who you say you are, and I'm going to have to believe it or I'm not going to make it. So to those friends who are saying, I'm on his B team, that's no longer pietistic to say. That's no longer heroic to say. It's not true. It's not who you are. You're Christ in you. This new, beautiful creature. I can't tell where I leave off and Christ starts up. It's all this amalgamated, galvanized beauty. 
and that can't be changed even on your worst day. <sighs> to breathe in life and say, this is how he sees me. It is a precious gift. It is so, it's like, Everything you're saying and the truth of it, it's just water to a parched soul. I mean, it's just, oh, I'm just, I'm grateful. This is really great. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say to the person who's listening right now who is afraid of sharing their secret? Mm -hmm. Well, I will first say you are right on time. And don't beat yourself up. For not having shared it before. Most of us carry secrets, and as someone has said long before this, we're only as healthy as how few secrets we have. Mm. Secrets are killing us, but I can't make myself trust anyone until I trust them. Mm. So, so I want to start that process of they're all around you. It's not like I didn't have people that were worthy of, of trusting. It's just that I did not want to trust anyone. I was terrified. So first it starts with God saying, I know all about you. I know every secret. I know all of it. And I'm not ashamed of you. I adore you. I hate that that happened to you. Now, would you at all be willing to let someone trust you and love you and protect you so much that you would start to let them in? You're not going to tell the secret right away. It's too big. But start to let them in and start to give them some things in your life. And when you're ready, and God will let you know that you're ready, <sighs> you get to tell it. And when you tell it, everything gets to change. You're free. Yeah. You're no longer carrying it around inside. It no longer has that insidious power. Mm. It's out. Oh, gosh. So uh, I tried it one night with a dear friend. And... Uh, now I can't stop talking about that thing that I hid for 30 some years. I can't, I want you to know about it because I, I want to be known because unless I'm known, I can't be loved. Hmm. So uh, all I want to tell you is I have been there and I still have secrets that I want to hide. But um, I thought that I would be destroyed in the telling of it. I really did. I just thought, I have to get rid of this thing. I know I'm going to be destroyed, but I have to get it off my, mm -hmm. outside my own self. And it not only didn't destroy me, it gave me depth of relationship with people who now get to love me more than they ever loved me before. They, they waited for this. So, mm. Who are those people? Who are those two or three people? And maybe you even get to tell them, I'm longing for a relationship of trust with you. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to fail at this. You're probably going to fail me. And that's our fear, isn't it? That, yeah. that 
we're going to be hurt and you will be hurt. Let's get that clear. But it's more pain to not be known. It's more pain to carry around that mess. Oh, you guys, just the fact that before the world began, he said, we're going to get on a podcast together. Just the fact that you're listening says, oops, <laughs> the gig is up. Um, I think I'm about to have this life of freedom. I think I no longer can live with this hiddenness and this lie inside of me. And sometimes it's it's not just telling one thing. It's choosing to have a lifestyle that comes out of hiding and lying. And that is a man, man, oh man. You 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 you're on the edge of a life of joy and playfulness. And sitting around at night and and when you examine your own heart, you go. I think there's nothing inside that's hidden. Wow. Wow. All right. Hand me another glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) But not Pinot Noir. I heard that you hate that. No, no. (laughs) We're Christians. We're not drinking Noir. Um, (laughs) I just said that to someone at Total Wine the other day. Uh, I was at a sampling thing and she said, would you like some Pinot Noir? Uh, I said, oh, no, no, why would I do that? We're Christians. Uh, so anyways, uh, I know some of my best friends say, John, that's the best wine there is. And I go, it hasn't convinced me yet. So, Well, thank you for being here. And you have to real quick tell me, what's your favorite oh, wine? Um, I love anything that's hearty and gutsy and strong. So, so a petite Syrah or a good cab or any of those. Um, Zinfandel runs the risk of tasting like cough syrup. It has a ch- <laughs> every now and then though, you run across a Zin that is the best. So just okay. my, my personal rude opinion. It, it, I, I hate that I'm a wine snob, by the way. I, I, I resent it. My wife is a coffee snob and my son is a beer snob, but this is my only snobbery that I get to have. So um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love red blends, all those. But and and uh just if you have a bottle, you're welcome over to my house anytime. Not just not just you, all the listeners. All the listeners. Yes. Okay. We're all gonna show up with some gutsy, hearty, strong cab. <laughs> uh, you you will be welcome every night of the year. Uh Sarah, thank you. This has been a blast for me. Yeah, me too, really. Thank you so much. If you want to know more about John's story, check out his book, On My Worst Day, which is linked below with his other books. You can also find John online at trueface.org. Now here's a clip from John Lynch's message to Rhodes. As early as we can remember, we have performed for acceptance. If I'm good enough, if I'm talented, diligent, beautiful, together enough, right, correct enough, I will be loved and accepted and blessed and happy. And if not, I will be rejected and receive a lousy life. You know what it is? It's the Santa Claus is coming to town theology. You see, we created Santa Claus because we couldn't handle God. Truth is, we can't handle Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, that watcher, 
Better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. Checking it twice, maybe three times. You're going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, he knows when you've been sleeping, which is wrong in my book. Right out of the chute. That is not acceptable. I don't care who you are. You don't be watching me wake up in the middle of the night. Ah, Santa, what are you doing in here? Get out of my bedroom. There's no business. I don't care if you're jolly and sassy. Get out. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you been bad or good for crying out loud, so be good for, uh, for goodness sake. There it is. The culture created it. Figure that out. Get it. Grab hold of it. Let that permeate your life, and we sing it over and over because we believe it. There is someone watching, and your value is on how much you do right and how little you do wrong. And, and he's constantly writing down the wrong that you've done for future reference to bring up again to you. And if you're naughty, no soup for you, only coal. And he's going to find you out. Oh, and this omniscient, controlling legalist, he's coming to town. So you better watch out. You better fear this guy. You better stop your crying and sniveling. You better not pout. You better put on a good face. You better act like you're somebody different than who you actually happen to be. No matter how you feel, you better put on a good show. So doggone it, just be better than who you are, for goodness sake. Don't be a whiner. Fix yourself. Try harder. Do more. Be better. Don't have so many problems. Watch over your shoulder. Keep up appearances. Get better in a hurry. And if you can't, act like you are. Because you are constantly on trial. And if you want good things to happen to your life, you better figure out how to keep this guy pleased. It is genetically wired into us since the fall. We learn early on how to perform, how to do the dance. The highest value is being accepted, and it appears the means of that acceptance on this planet is performance. And performance is hard because I fail. Another result of the fall is the assumption that nobody else fails quite like me. You can listen to the rest of the Two Roads message by clicking in the link in the show notes below. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.